Hey, Rip City, this is Nasir Little, and it's time to open the briefcase with Casey Hodon. Greetings, pleasure fans, and welcome to the briefcase, episode 54 of the briefcase. I am your host, Casey Holdall, and training camp starts on Monday with Media Day, after which the team flies south to Santa Barbara for the first day of training camp, of actual practices at least. We'll briefly preview the start of the Trailblazers 2023-24 campaign before hearing from Dwayne Hankins, Trailblazers President of Business Operations, on this edition of the briefcase. After a long offseason, the Trailblazers will open their 2023-24 season on Monday with Media Day. They fly out that afternoon to Santa Barbara where they begin practices on Tuesday at the University of Santa Barbara through Saturday. There are at least three new players on the team this season, Scoot Henderson, Chris Murray, and Ryan Rupert, and there will surely be a few more, either through trades or signings, most of which have not been officially announced yet. I've seen that some people have noticed that while some of those things have been reported, they have not been officially announced. I think there's probably a few reasons why that might be the case. I would imagine that by Monday, the guys who are going to be at training camp, those signings will be announced. In fact, I think they probably have to be because I think you actually have to be officially under contract in order to participate at training camp. But I would imagine that most of the stuff you've heard is probably correct, though I have heard a few things here and there. I think you've probably seen some videos of the team out and about. I know that they went to U of O this weekend for the Ducks-Colorado game. Shout out to my Ducks for that beatdown. And I think there were some guys even in some of those videos who maybe have been officially announced yet. But again, that's kind of the way things work. I'm sure they're just trying to preserve some flexibility. At some point in time in the very near future, I imagine those things will be announced. I would imagine at least before Monday, everyone who is going to be in Santa Barbara for training camp will be announced officially in one way or another. I don't even know. Maybe they'll just do that at media day. Who's to say? So long story short, there are players who are going to be on the team who are not officially yet on the roster, but we'll find that out soon enough. With so many new players, the time that they've spent together this offseason, they've been holding informal workouts at the practice facility for some time now, is going to be important, but quickly coming together both on and off the court in Santa Barbara will be an especially important step in the future of this team. The Blazers will have eight days of training camp before hosting the New Zealand Breakers in their first preseason game on October 10th. The Breakers, by the way, Rian Repair's former team. Then two days later, they'll face the Phoenix Suns at Moda Center before playing their final two preseason games versus the Jazz and the Suns again on the road to finish up preseason. But before that, the press conference portion of Media Day is scheduled to begin at 9 a.m. on Monday, and I assume that we'll be streaming that on Trailblazers.com or on our Facebook page, so be on the lookout for that. Chance to hear from the players, the coaches, and the front office staff. Chauncey Billups, Joe Cronin, both expected to talk, along with the players as well. Probably not all the players, since the team flies out after media day, and since there's so many guys who are on the roster, either in terms of Exhibit 10s or G League rosters or two ways, that at this point, you can't talk to everybody, particularly in that short amount of time. When they're having training camp here in town, media day could basically go as long as you wanted it to, at least within reason. Now it's much shorter because the team has to leave right away. Personally, I think that's probably a good thing, though you probably don't get to hear from the players as much, at least on that first day of media day. I would say that's probably the only negative about media day being a little bit shorter. It also is a long season, so you have plenty of time to hear from these guys throughout the season. But a reminder that in between training camp and the start of the preseason is the Fans Fest presented by Daimler Truck Northwest that is scheduled for Sunday, October 8th. That's the day after we get back from Santa Barbara. Doors at 1 o'clock, program at 2 o'clock, intra-squad scrimmage after that. First chance to get your eyes on some of the new players in person, up close and personal. You get tickets for free at trailblazers.com slash fanfest. First come, first serve seating. Get there early. Get the best seats. Bring out the family. 
fun Sunday afternoon. See you at Moda Center, Sunday, October 8th, 1 p.m. All right, moving on. On the last edition of The Briefcase, I signed off by telling you to not pay too much attention to Twitter this weekend. I hope you took that advice, seeing as nothing has changed in terms of all the rumors that you've surely been hearing throughout the entire summer about the status of the Trailblazers, of Damian Lillard, and about everything in between. Nothing new of substance to report. Every team would prefer to have their roster completely set by the start of training camp. The Trailblazers are no different, but no good team is going to make a deal that they don't feel comfortable with just to get it done by a deadline that is mostly arbitrary. So while I'm sure that every team, as I just mentioned, would like to have everything locked in by the start of training camp, by the start of media day, I don't think that necessarily means that something is going to get done. Would they prefer that? Absolutely. Does that mean it's going to happen? Not necessarily. As I often note that if you're listening to this podcast, I'm almost certain that you've seen all the rumors that you're following things very closely, whether or not I think that is or isn't healthy. It's probably a conversation for another day. Those things could be true. They could be false. But one thing that we know is that every single time this offseason that something has been reported to be quote-unquote done or quote-unquote almost done or quote-unquote imminent, it has not happened. I say this only to point out that in general, these kind of rumors are wrong more often than not. You have plenty of recent proof to that point. And really, reporting isn't supposed to be just about passing along any comment that someone tells you. It's supposed to be about evaluating what you're hearing and then making a distinction based off of the experience and a host of other variables about the veracity of what you're hearing. That is what reporting is. A lot of what is being put out there right now seems like it's much more gossip than anything resembling actual news. And granted, it's sports, so a lot of that line blurs, but it sure doesn't seem like we're getting the news side of a lot of these stories, which is unfortunate for everybody, I would say. So I'll end this dumb non-segment where I basically don't say anything by saying this. I work for the Trailblazers, and my work should be viewed as such. I have no issue with that, and in fact, it is what I would prefer. Media literacy is important, and in an environment awash with people claiming for your attention, you should be discerning. There are issues that I'm not going to delve into too deeply because I work for the team, just as there are topics that I'm likely going to highlight more than others for that same reason. So you should view my work through a certain lens that you should probably not apply to those who cover the team from outside media, though there are plenty of folks working right now who are more than happy to trade favors for access. I think we all know that. I think there's still a lot of value in what I do, but it is different than what journalists do, especially the journalists who are out there doing it right. Though again, that distinction gets less and less distinct as the years go by, and I think we're all worse off for it, and that is coming from someone who works for a team. And to be perfectly honest, some of the stuff that's being put out there right now are things that if my bosses came to me and said, hey, Casey, we need you to get this out there, I would decline. Not that they ever have done that, but if they did, no thanks. I have too much respect for the people who consume my work, some of you for nearly two decades now, to allow that relationship to be used so cheaply and so cynically. It is sports, it's low stakes, so you've got a leg to stand on if you want to argue there's really no harm in playing a bit fast and loose with the rules. There is some validity to that. Everyone doesn't have to do this thing the same. There are different lanes that we can choose that have value. But in my opinion, the time, the emotion, and the money that fans invest in their respective teams should be reflected in the coverage of those teams, and that seems to be a bar that less and less are clearing every single season. All right, enough of the soapbox. Now let's go ahead and hear from Dwayne Hankins, Trailblazers President of Business Operations, about some of the things you might expect to see at Moda Center during the 2023-24 season. Hankins, who I've known and worked with, or to be more accurate, who I've worked for, for the last 10 years, gives his thoughts on what the team has accomplished in the offseason, fan enthusiasm for what is in many ways a new-look team, 
getting the Rip City remix up and running, the prospect of Portland getting a WNBA team, some of the improvements made to Moda Center, the inaugural in-season tournament, the ever-changing landscape when it comes to broadcasting games locally, the new city-adjacent jerseys, the leaked court, and what he's looking for most to this season. Always enjoy talking to Dwayne, one of the most honest guys you're going to come across in this business. So let's go ahead and hear from Dwayne about some of the things you can expect to see at Moda Center this season. We're here with Trailblazers President of Business Operations, Dwayne Hankins, uh, my current and former boss. I, I would say former boss because you used to be a little <laughs> little closer on the org chart to me, and you've since continued to rise up, and I've very much stayed in the same spot. But uh, I, I, I thank you so much for taking some time, Dwayne. Yeah, Casey, it's always a blast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So the offseason, how, how's this offseason been for, for you as business president? Obviously, kind of a... A lot of talk in Rip City this offseason, a lot of kind of movement and expectations. From from your perspective and your role, how has this offseason gone so far? Really well. I mean, on, on the business side, you know, things have been good. Uh, renewed our season ticket holders at 93%, which is the highest we've had since the Western Conference Finals. So fans were really excited to come back seeing promise with the team on the court. Um, sponsorship, you know, continuing to work on getting a jersey um, patch partner, which is important to us and building up things that way. And then spending the summer on a couple of really big projects, which included obviously getting a G League team off the ground with the Rip City Remix, um, working on the big steel project in the arena, which we can dive into in a little bit. And then we're adding a, a kitchen and a whole new process out at the practice facility. So it's been, uh, it's been anything but a normal off season, but I think that's kind of how it is now in the, in the NBA these days. Yeah. For someone in, in your position, I, I call it an off season, and obviously, you know, when games are going on, that's when the team is at its most focused and most heightened. But for someone like yourself and, and the business side, like there's no real off season, and, and in a lot of ways, you know, getting ready for the basketball portion of the season or the year, I guess I should say, there's a lot of business initiatives that have to go into getting that thing stood up. And so, I imagine that you know, the off season for you is kind of a, a bit of a misnomer. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that for everyone, right? I mean, the cross business and basketball, there's just always things that are, that are happening. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we're always in the mode of how do we get, you know, the organization to a better place? How do we help us get closer to, you know, winning championships, uh, on and off the court? So for us, um, you know, it's just, it's just been a lot of that. And it's been a lot of excitement, you know, you think about the remix and standing that up. And, you know, we've, we've done that relatively quick and have to give a ton of, um, effort to president Hannah Grauer, who's done a great job former has been a Blazers employee in the past. But I mean, just getting something like that up and running and helping the staff understand, Hey, look, this is a lot of work and we're going to, we're going to rush, but is there anything that can help us be a better team for now and in the future than like getting this G league team up and running and having a whole development pipeline for players, especially in a market like ours, where we're going to have to develop players if we want to have success on the court. So I think for us, it's been, it's, it's a lot of work and it's, you know, crazy, but it's also fun and it's why a lot of us are in the business. Absolutely. And you, you, you talk about tickets and, you know, I, I think people might see kind of the way the season has gone for the Trailblazers last couple of seasons and say to themselves, like, wait, people are buying tickets, but it, it sounds like it, it's been strong from that perspective. Uh, why do you think that might be? And what would you attribute that to? And just your thoughts on, on fan interest going into this upcoming season? It's it's a lot of things. Uh, it starts with I think our incredible fan support that's existed long. You know, I've been here ten years, but it's existed long before I was here. There's just such a, such a love for the sports teams in this city. If whether it's us or the Timbers or the Thorns, you look at it, and people will always come out to the teams if they if they feel they can be inspired by them. So 
Our fans are incredible. Um, on the second part of that is our we have really great uh, season ticket holder reps, folks that are taking those calls uh, day in and day out, and and really just having those conversations to make sure fans are feeling good about the money that they're spending with us. And then Joe's done such an incredible job, I think, building you know the next generation of the team on the court. There are just I think with Shaden and Scoot and Ant and Jeremy and all the guys that are here, there's so much more optimism than maybe there's been in some time and it's really exciting and and something that's, you know, frankly got our fans curious and excited about what can happen in the future. So for us, you know, um you know that that makes it really fun. That's one of the things that I always talk about Blazer fans. That's maybe one of my like rote responses about Blazer fans is that they love young players and youth and the idea of what this could become. And even if it's not exactly what we're accustomed to, or even if things that we liked are changing the idea of having something new to, to root for and to be interested in and to learn about has always seemed like something that, that has really been a, an important part of being a trailblazer fan. And and so you mentioned Scoot and Shaden and Ant and those guys, It, it would seem to me that, you know, even though things are probably going to be somewhat different this year, having some new young players that people are excited about probably helps quite a bit in terms of the the business side of, of selling tickets and, and getting people into the building. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think for us, um, you know, we're you're always selling. At the end of the day, you're always selling hope and optimism and and the promise of you know winning at some point. And so for us to be able to do that, it's just what we do. And then having the really strong foundation on the on the on the back end to really make sure we're doing that the right way. So, and what I mean by that is taking care of your season ticket holders, making sure they feel like they're in a good place. We just did this huge steel project that I alluded to. And it's a lot of like big changes for some of our, our season ticket holders. So walking them through that, helping them understand why we're doing it. Um, and that's no different when it's, you know, turning the page on, on a era in the franchise or it's anything else. I think we're our ability to try to you know voice that as soon as we can, be upfront, have those conversations, and even if they're tough conversations, I think are good. So it, I, you know, again, credit to our staff, credit to our fans, but we've been able to weather things pretty well with the, all the changes in the last couple of years. You, you've already mentioned it a couple of times, so I, I was going to leave it for a little bit further on, but let's just get to it now. The the Steel Project, can you explain kind of what what that is and and how people are going to to recognize that in the arena? Yeah, it doesn't affect everyone in the building, but we are a building that's nearing 30 years old. And so with that, there's a lot of original systems in the building that need to get changed out. Last year, we did the roof. That was a big project that needed to get done. This Which I don't know if a lot of people realize that because every time I mention there being a new roof, people are like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, yeah. No, the, the roof is new now. It's funny. I notice it when I'm driving home around the Fremont yeah, Bridge yeah. and you see how white the yeah, roof is. Exactly. And then you go back on like Google Maps and you look at it and it's not that white. So I think that's one of the biggest things. But it's like, you know, those things aren't cosmetically exciting or super enhancing to the fan experience, but they, you know, need to get done. And the steel project is the same thing. It's actually our biggest single capital project that we've done. Uh, it affects all of the end zone seats and the and the sideline seats. And so what the steel does is it folds back in for concerts and then comes out for games, right? And so when the parts wear and it's a 30-year-old system, there's no way to replace those parts. And so we were really to the point where we needed to get a new system. And what's great about it for us internally, not fan-facing, is that we can go from a game setup to a concert setup way faster because the technology has obviously improved over the last 30 years. The other thing that we're solving for it is going to be better seats there. So fans, if you walk into the building, will notice different seats in those sections and it's not all the sections we're, we're going to get to those seats uh, at some point but the seats will be a little bit wider a little bit more cushion newer so that will be good and we had to 
move, you know, for people that are courtside on the end zones, you know, you'll notice the seats are a little further back, which is something that, you know, we had to get, we've always been grandfathered into having seats as close as they were to the court, but the league has talked to us for, um, you know, a, a lot of years about, you know, just moving those seats back and then creating wider tunnels in the back. So I talked about how we had to have conversations with fans and it was, it was this kind of thing where it's, you know, we needed to get these things done to get up to, you know, NBA code, which is great. It's safer for the fans. It's better experience for our, or safer for the players, better experience for our fans. And so, you know, check that off the list of things that need to get done. But the next step for us is doing major renovations to the arena at some point here in the next few years to be ready for things like the 2030 Women's Final Four, which is going to be a massive event that I think will be a lot of fun for folks to be able to see. And then, you know, hopefully getting an all-star game in and around the same time. I know there's also been talk about maybe a WNBA team coming to Portland. Do any of those kind of upgrades have anything to do with that project? Ideally, yes. I mean, you know, we've got the soccer, which has been awesome here with the Timbers and the Thorns, and the Blazers have been an institution here for years. The remix adds a bunch of nights a year to Portland in terms of professional basketball that fans get to see at a really affordable price. So W, for us in, in the world of, you know, while we're not, we're not trying to be the ones that own it. We obviously want to be really great partners in terms of building, I guess, landlords, if you will, to the team if, if they get one. But for us, that's it. I mean, like to be able to have basketball year round at the Motor Center would be fantastic, would be great for basketball, great for fans. And so, yeah, I mean, for us, it's, it's one of those things that we'd love to be able to, to have at the Motor Center. And I think it would do really well based on how well, you know, other things in town do. I think that's kind of the, the thought from fans as well as like, why do other these other towns have the WNBA team? Like we we've shown that we have the support both in terms of basketball and in terms of women's sports that we should be one of those teams. Yeah, and the, the ownership group that's really pushing to try to bring one has a really strong vision. They're really excited about it, and I think they've made a really good pitch to the W, and and we'll hopefully see how it comes out. You, you mentioned the remix. How how have things gone in the first month, two months uh, of the remix since it was announced? And how has that process been of getting that thing set up? I, you, you talk about the staff, and I know that you know Hannah and a bunch of other people have worked incredibly hard in, in getting that thing even to where the point it is now. I imagine the next couple months, you know, they're having their open tryouts, they're gonna have a training camp, season starts, the the schedule's already been announced. I imagine that's gonna be pretty breakneck at this point to get that thing to a point to where they're gonna be playing games at UP here in November. Very much so. And it's, it's exciting. It's just such a high energy thing that that team is working on. And everything they do is the first time they're doing it, right? The first tryout, the first this, the first that. And, you know, walking by their office every morning, just checking in on them. There's just so much, um, excitement and eagerness from that team, which is what you want to see. And, the best part about it from the business standpoint, obviously we know the basketball benefits and being able to develop players, but you also get to develop staff and you get to try things with the remix in a little bit of a lower stakes model that if they work out really well, we can bring to the Blazers. And so that stuff's really exciting for us. We threw a bunch of stuff at the wall last year on broadcast. Some of it worked great, some of it didn't. But to have a lower stakes environment like a like a remix broadcast to try some of that stuff would also be great. So I really look forward to using it as like a research lab, if you will, to try things that we think might work for the Blazers. Uh, one of the things that the NBA is trying that's kind of a an experiment too is the in-season tournament. Mm-hmm. From a business perspective and just from a perspective of, of fan interest and tickets and and just 
getting people excited about the season. How has the in-season tournament played into that? Or how do you maybe envision that that is going to play in it for, for both our fans and for the NBA in general? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the in-season tournament. I think that it adds a really good opening chapter to the season. It gets people excited about competition. It creates a storyline for teams. It creates some motivation early on. It's been a lot of work by the league, and I give them a ton of credit for trying something you know, outside the box. I mean, I know you, you know, you see this with MLS when they're able to work and play other leagues, so it makes it easier. But for the NBA to give this effort and try something and, and work with the teams and get our feedback and try to make a great experience is, I think, a lot of fun for us. And, you know, to have the semifinals and finals in Vegas is going to be really neat. I think it's really going to build up the support they've got. They've just got a lot of special sort of things that are going to make these games feel a level above just a regular season game which I think is going to really help draw interest early in the season. Will any of that be reflected in games at Moda that are also tournament games? Absolutely. Yeah, the league is... Um, can't say too much more sure, about sure, it, yeah, but I'll but, but <laughs> get there. But yeah, I mean, you know, you saw it with the pool announcement and the schedule of those games being announced, but there are some big, you know, interesting things that the league is planning. And, and also knowing that it's year one, and I just talked about this as it relates to trying things and developing, but... The league is going to do a great job with this in the the first year. They're going to learn a ton about it, and it's going to be even better next year. And, you know, it'll start to build tradition. And I think you'll see, especially, you know, younger players really wanted to win this thing. And uh, maybe older players will too, but definitely just going to create some maybe new rivalries and things like that. That'll that'll be really fun. Yeah, I mean, you talk about, you know, the play-in tournament and the success they've had with that. And I think a lot of people, and myself included, were like, I don't really know how this is going to work, and is it really going to be an interest there? And I think we've seen that that it's been very successful. So I imagine that the hope is that in season tournament looks something at least in terms of success as the playing tournament. And you're right. While maybe those first rounds or it might take a little bit of time for for the players and for the fans to get into it, I, I think about the summer league tournament mm-hmm. and how jacked a lot of our fans are on that last day when i'm doing updates on what the score needs to be in order for yeah. us to you're one of the, the best tournament. at that by the it, way it's my niche i like i wasn't <laughs> expecting that that was going to be where where i ended up but it has been something that uh, people are interested in and i kind of that's what i think about when i think of the NCAA tournament is it like yeah like does anyone care really about what their summer league team does generally no but when you're in the throes of that tournament the players want to win and the fans are interested in their team winning too and i, mm-hmm. I think that that's super low stakes with summer league. It seems like the stakes are much higher with the in-season tournament. And I, I think that there's a really good chance that people are going to be excited about it. Even if at the beginning, you're kind of like, I don't exactly know what's going on or how is this different? Mm-hmm. It seems like there's a, there's an opportunity there for, for quite a bit of excitement. Yeah. And you talked about the play in tournament. And I think one of the side effects of it, whether it was intended or not was you, you had the most competitive NBA season you ever had in many years. I mean, in both conferences, it really came down to the wire and teams were trying to make the, that play in tournament. And that's better for the league. So certainly what the league is, is doing here is going to be better for the health of the league overall. And, you know, that's, that can be really exciting. And who knows what unintended side effects will come from the in season tournament. Absolutely. Hopefully good unintended side yeah, effects. Yeah, exactly. There couldn't be yeah. bad. Are there any big initiatives that the team is embarking on the, this season? I know that every year, like, there's usually a few changes in the arena, and you've already talked about kind of some with, with some of the seating and the roof, but I know a lot of times, like, there's different dining options and, you know, there's different ticketing options. Like, what are kind of some of the, the maybe the big initiatives from a business perspective that the team is focusing on going into 22, 24, or 23, 24? 
Yeah, one of the things that we talked about earlier, you asked about the fan experience. And what has changed for fans is, especially post-COVID, is their desire to come to 41 games, right? A lot of fans have said, you know, I can go to 20 or 25 or 10 or 15 or whatever their number is. And so we've done a lot of work to build different ticket packages for fans and things like that. As it relates to coming to the games themselves, we're adding some Amazon Just Walk Out technology. And if you're not familiar with what that is, it's the ability to just walk into a little market. There's a bunch of cameras. Grab the things that you need. You're, you scan your card on the way in so they know you're in the store. They you can grab the things you need and you leave and you're automatically charged. And it just creates a more frictionless experience for our fans. We had something similar in the arena the last couple of years, but it was you still had to check out. Yes. You still had to scan I have things. Lots of popcorn and beer yeah. at, uh, at non-Trailblazer events at those little stands. Little shops. Yeah. yeah. And this will be the same thing, except it'll be even more frictionless. You can just walk in and walk right out. And you know, our, our peers to the north, the Seahawks, have had these stands the last couple of years, and they've been really, really successful. Again, they use Amazon technology. And for fans, you know, you really want to make sure they feel they feel good coming out to games. Like, if, if we've learned anything from the pandemic, it just requires an extra lift to leave your house yeah. these days. So what are we doing to help create a, a better fan experience? And we think those stands, you know, we're starting with four of them. They're under construction now. They, they'll be something that will... You know, again, test and see how they go. And if, if they go well, we'll add more. It's just changing the way concessions have traditionally been done, um, which is you don't want to wait in lines. And you wait in a lot of lines at games. So how can we make that a better experience? You know, we're always changing the restaurant situation in the, in the arena. And we're always looking at great local restaurants. So you'll see Lardo in the arena this year, which is a fantastic, uh, fantastic, place to be yeah. been. So that's a, I think that's a big addition that we're going to have. And always, always trying to change up the food the food inside to make it feel, you know, legitimately Portland and authentic to what we do well here. And I've noticed too, in traveling with the team all these years, like I I feel like, I guess I couldn't say we were the first team to do that, but I do feel like we were one of the first teams to do that. And now when you're walking concourses all around the NBA, it's, that's what they're all like now. It used to be like, you got chicken fingers or a hamburger and a hot dog and some popcorn and that's that. And now it seems like it's a lot of arenas seem to be gearing it more towards kind of their local fare. And it, it feels like, Blazers were one of the first teams to do that. Yeah, it's definitely probably true. I mean, I think I think in 2013, I remember hearing the feedback when I first got this job and uh, overseeing the marketing team. You know, the Portland is so unique, and you go inside the arena and it feels like any other arena. So it was a quick feedback for us to say, okay, well, what can we do that feels different and feels makes the arena feel more Portland? So, and I do think it's important. It's important that uh, you know, it's part of the reason we want to look and continue to do renovations in the building is. You know, we really need to up level the experience, not just the food, but but walking in and out, yeah. all those things. Um, and you know, you go and see, you know, as we do, we go to get get to go to new buildings all the time, all over the country. <laughs> you know, there's just always these new things that that teams and uh, organizations are doing to help make a really great experience in the building. And so, you know, we we've done a lot of research on that. We continue to look at where we can make you know inroads to have a better experience, and and it's it's a good thing for the fan at the end. One of the issues kind of league-wide that I think we're seeing more and more is with RSNs is, is broadcast and, and local broadcasts of, of team games. And you, know, you see what they're doing in Phoenix and just other places, too, just having issues with carriage and, and getting games on. I know that, obviously, the, the team is with Root and that, that relationship seems to be going well. I know there's been discussions about trying to get games more accessible, maybe online and, and using different different technologies and services. And I think still kind of figuring out how that's going to look. Are there any updates on, on on just in terms of the broadcast and, and carriage and, and in terms of, of accessibility to fans, particularly those who, who might not be people who have cable anymore? 
Yeah, just in the time I've been here, and again, it goes back to 2013, you know, cable subscribers have gone from, I think it was 120 million people had cable, and now it might be half of that number. So then, you know, the RSN industry, the regional sports network, it's, it's having a moment if you're not following things with Diamond Sports. That's obviously, uh, you know, a challenge for the teams that are dealing with that. We've really been lucky to land at Root because they really believe in sports. You know, obviously with the Mariners cracking and us, they, they've done an incredible job creating a platform for us and a stable platform in an era where things are anything but. So they've been, they've been a tremendous partner. Um, but the industry is changing a ton. And so what I get concerned about is if there are fewer and fewer people subscribing to cable, we have to do what we can to make our uh, games available to fans. And so, you know, we talked to Root about it a lot. You know, the games are available. Of course, if you had Comcast or Direct, but there are some other options there for fans. If you look at DirecTV Stream as a streaming platform option, I think Fubo is an option that works for some people. So they are trying to get in there. You know, YouTube and Hulu are the ones that I hear the most often that fans would like to have access to those games. Both of those platforms are, are while they're investing in national sports you saw youtube invest in the nfl uh package they're not investing in rsn's really and so there is a gap there and we'd love the far games to be on there and that's a conversation that needs to happen obviously between root and those distributors but it doesn't allay my overall concern of games being available to as many fans as possible and all of our teams, I think, have to get more creative. I applaud the way that the Suns have handled their deal to be over the air, like teams maybe used to do in the 80s and the 90s is, I think, a really good option. They're, they're, they're able to do that, and um, we'll see how that all plays out for them. And on the flip side, I think the MLS has done an incredible job putting all their games on Apple TV, and, and not only nationally, but internationally. And it, you know, fans don't have to get confused by things like blackouts and things like that. So the ecosystem is definitely changing. And uh, so I'll leave it at that. One of the things that fans are always really interested in, too, is kind of what are the what are the new things in the arena and on the team that they're going to see this year? So obviously, uniforms are always, is always a, a really big deal. And, and with the new Nike contract, or not, it's not even the new Nike contract anymore. You have a new one every year. What's your favorite city edition, Casey, of all time? I never asked you this. My favorite city edition of all time? Are we talking Trailblazers? The Blazers, or, yeah, for, for Blazers? the Blazers. Who? Um, I, I think it's actually the Oregon ones. Mm. And right. because, like, Oregon jersey, I feel like, and I've said this over and over again, in another 20 years, if you want to have, like, a cool Portland throwback jersey, it's going to be the the Oregon City jersey. Uh, like, I, I feel very confident. And specifically, it's going to be the Carmelo Double Zero <laughs> Trailblazer brown jersey. I, I think they've done a pretty good job with with all of them. I, I Obviously, I, I've liked some more than others. Mm-hmm. I, I think the the Cream Rip City one was really good, yeah, too, just because, like, one. that's like a... But I also feel like we have such a strong base brand that those things always look good. So like white with red mm-hmm. and black, like it, those always look good. And so when I'm trying to kind of set up what I think are the best city jerseys, I go further than just like, which one do I think looks the coolest? It's more like, which one looks good? And is also like a, a diversion from what we would usually do. And that's, you know, it's nice to be a team that has always had strong jerseys mm-hmm. because... We always had strong jerseys, so the team has always generally looked good. But if you're kind of trying to change something up a little bit, I think you got to take some chances sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think fashion and a lot of it is about putting yourself out there and maybe doing something a little bit different that in the time might get looked at a little bit sideways and then becomes something people look back on and say, that actually was a was a, a chance that worked. And so 
That's my super long-winded answer. That's good. I, I'll, I I, I've always wondered that. that, and I'm glad we're able to talk. I'm Ooh. not a real jersey guy, though, either. <clears throat> like, I'm really more of an associated apparel guy. <clears throat> and I would say in that regard, the Oregon City ones, like, I could have used a crew neck. You know, we only, <laughs> like, uh, uh, you're a man of significant yep. influence. Can we get more crew necks? Like, yeah. I, I don't like hood. All right. I, I don't, for whatever right. reason, like, I, I... You are a big crew neck person. I'm hoodie all the way. See, I, all I the just way. feel like I don't use the hood very often. And so I, I feel like a, a crew neck is a, is a cleaner look. And I also feel like you talk about COVID and the way things changed it. I was just talking to some family the, this weekend and someone was trying to give me some cufflinks. And they're like, well, you probably don't even wear suits. I was like, <laughs> Well, actually, like I used to wear suits to every single game before COVID, and now I don't. And what I, <laughs> the reason I mention that is because, like, I feel like a crew neck sweatshirt with a pair of pants is like that's a it's not a nice outfit, but it's like I feel you good can get by. That. You exactly. Can get by. If I put on a sweatshirt with a hood, I feel like I'm not working anymore. That's the, that's where it crosses that's my line the barrier. Of yep. is, yeah, it's like sweatshirt with no hood, fine. Sweatshirt with hood. <laughs> Yeah, you're getting a little, you're a little sloppy right now. I get that. I get that. Um, that's a long way of getting back to. My... <laughs> also, too, I feel like our hat selections are hit and miss sometimes. Okay, good uh, to know. No one, I love no that one, feedback. No one's bothered by that. No, you're I, good. I think our apparel people do a great job. I think I it, it's funny that you bring that up because I think we tend. I love. First of all, I love all the reactions to all the uniforms. Like we never get it 100 percent right, and and I feel like the more. Um, debated they are the the better they do last year's um, i do want to real quick though i did because we've mentioned it before like you talk about there never being kind of for uniforms that's usually true i did want to give a quick shout out to koji because i saw him when i was here i didn't see a single person say that the remix logo isn't great yeah like not not a single i told him the same thing universal agreement that the remix logo is a very good logo so shout out to you koji shout out to your to your people so every now and then you can get something that almost right. agrees on. That's actually I told Koji that's the only logo I've ever seen that's been universally praised and loved. And um I mean, you know, for people I think they heard the name and they were like, What? And then when they saw the logo, they were like, Oh, that's that's right on. And I told Koji the same thing. I said, You're the first person I've ever worked with that's got something universally right. So shout out to his team and yeah, that was just incredible. Uh, the on the uniform part the league always has some parameters or or Nike does on what the leagues or what the uniform should look like every year. I I'm excited about our uniform. I think last year we had a super our most successful uniform ever with the PDX carpet one and shout out to Ryan Flaherty who's been wanting to do that for years and I've always been the person that's like isn't isn't that done and apparently it's not. So uh it was it was most successful by many many times over. So and it was an, an incredibly helpful. I think the one thing that it missed was it didn't have the Rip City logo on it, which yeah. our fans love. And so, as a hint, we might go back to something similar to that. And I think that's 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 okay. And yeah, I think we'll try that. I think uh, the court had to change this year as a result of us doing that steel work. We had to go and get a new court for the season. And so I'm excited. I think uh, if you've played NBA 2K, you may have seen it. <laughs> Um, it's, it's, it's okay, man. They, they, that, that's like, there's one, there's a few things you can rely on in the NBA. One of those things is that something is absolutely going to get leaked into it, it. It's going to happen. It happens so often that like, I just assume it's like baked into the marketing plan at this point. It's like clockwork. Yeah. You know, it's going to happen. Um, and I, you know, that, uh, to another hat tip to, uh, Mario Milosevic, who that was, he was our former head of creative before Koji took over. He's now doing really well in Detroit, but that was sort of his last big design for us. And it's a really neat, interesting core design that 
You know, we had I thought we had one of the best ones in the league and I and I wanted us to try to top it and I actually didn't think we could and yet I think we did. So I I'm excited. It's it's unique. It improves upon what we had and I'm pretty excited for fans to see it. Man, Mario, the the, the entire creative staff or at least the creative heads are getting a lot of love and getting a lot of yeah, you guys better listen to this podcast. I I think Koji does. I don't know about Mario anymore. Mario, you should listen to this podcast. Before we wrap it up, uh, <laughs> we went a little off the off the rails, but it's it's good. Yeah, that's good. I like to get you off the rails. Yeah, no, that's where I uh, <laughs> I do my best work in, uh, in railless areas. What are maybe you just looking forward to the most the, this season? I think it's going to be so fun. I mean, we've we've just you know turned the page on on a new era of basketball. It's really exciting for fans to be able to see these players. Um, you know, there's a culture here that's really really fantastic. When you now add the G League into that and all the players that fans are going to get to know, you're going to have basketball more often than you ever did with all the options to be able to watch Remix and Blazers. And, you know, it's just, I'm really, really excited about, you know, I, when I talk to Chauncey and Joe, the, the vision that they're bringing for the team, it really is, uh, you know, they're putting the organization first and they're trying to put the best, most competitive team on the court. And uh, there's some really fun talent. I'm excited for the season to start and, and it's going to be fun. So there you go. Trailblazers president of business operations, Dwayne Hankins, giving his overview of some of the things you can expect to see at the arena this season. Well, and just in the franchise in general. You can also hear from Dwayne again on Monday at Media Day. So if there's topics, and I'm sure there were, that we didn't get to that you want to hear from, I imagine that some of the people who will be asking questions at the press conference will get to those. So be on the lookout for that on Monday. My biggest takeaway from that is that the team just continues to do what they do, which is no matter what people are saying, no matter the changes on the roster, no matter the changes in ownership, the team just keeps doing what the team does. Significant investments have been made and will continue to be made to ensure the long-term health of the organization, both on and off the court, and I think we've seen quite a bit of that this offseason. Well, we are already running incredibly long, so that will do it for this edition of The Briefcase. New episodes coming from Santa Barbara, both of The Briefcase and of The Blazers Balcony with my good friend and coworker Brooke Olsendam, who will also be down in Santa Barbara. So if you haven't subscribed to those podcasts, please do so wherever you get your podcasts. Try to remind you as much as possible subscribing it helps folks so thank you for joining me on this edition the off season is just about over it's time to get down to business we'll talk to you soon go blazers